Hello. Welcome to A Good Philosopher. I'm Brian Good. In this episode, we're going to be talking about theology and philosophy. And I'll be sharing with you why I actually prefer uh, talking about philosophy over talking about theology. So briefly, we're going to talk about what it means to be a philosopher and how um, I sort of got into it. Um, About 15 years ago, I took my first introductory class in philosophy and uh, it just blew my mind. And we started out with a man named Socrates. Socrates was a Greek philosopher and He's known for saying things like, And if I say again that the greatest good of man is daily to converse about virtue and all that concerning which you hear me examining myself and others, let the life which is unexamined is not worth living, that you are still less likely to believe. Uh, A lot of people still talk about Socrates, uh, even, you know, thousands of years later, uh, after he's uh, been dead for quite a while now, and and we have to ask the question, why? Why is that? So, uh, theology claims to hold the upper hand of moral teaching with God on its side. Uh, And I kind of believe that this is uh, a false notion. Uh, And I don't really agree with it. And I think that uh, we really should be looking at the philosophers. Um, So in this way, the philosophers are kind of like my saints. Uh, with Socrates being my Paul. He's kind of the, like, like Paul is the driving force, you know, kind of behind Christianity. Um, Most of the New Testament contains the writings of Paul, or at least that which has been attributed to him. Uh, While a great deal of people have written about Socrates and uh, Plato being his largest advocate. Plato was the student of Socrates. So Socrates also said things like, if I reflected uh, that I could only find a wiser man than myself, I might go to the oracle, the oracle of Delphi, to be more specific, with a refutation in my hand, although I do not suppose that either of us knows anything really beautiful and good. I am better off than he is, for he knows nothing and thinks he knows. I neither know nor think I know. So this is like the kind of one of those crossroads of philosophy 
uh, and it varies greatly uh, from theology because in theology we have things like the Bible uh, and people look to the Bible and they claim it's uh, perfection, it's inerrancy and they take for granted all of those things they without any question at all and so what they do is they look to the bible and for answers um, and looking in the bible they take those um, answers out of greatly out of context most of the time i believe Whereas opposed to uh, philosophy, um, philosophy would say that we don't really, uh, we shouldn't really claim to know anything. Uh, instead, we should kind of question everything. We should look at it, examine it, um, much in the way, I mean, this is where science came from, right? Uh, so we should just mull it over and, and and take it in and examine it and look at it and research it and just go over it with like over and over and over again um, and more often than not we, we find uh, that when we look at things from varying angles uh, that we find different answers uh, instead of looking through uh, like holy scripture and probably really only finding one answer which usually resonates behind this uh, like voice of God or revelation Okay, we're back. Next, we'll be talking about René Descartes, who was a 17th century French philosopher. He was also a scientist and a mathematician, uh, which makes him a pretty interesting character. Um, I should also add that he was also Roman Catholic, so that kind of... changed his way of looking at things, I think. Other than that, or, um, you know, he perhaps felt like the uh, French Roman Catholic authorities were going to execute him if he didn't say what he did uh, after the fact. But we'll get into that in a minute here. So, René Descartes said, for to be possessed of a vigorous mind is not enough. The prime requisite is rightly to apply it. The greatest minds, as they are capable of the highest excellences, are open otherwise or likewise to the greatest aberrations. So he, in saying that, uh, he was basically saying that 
it's not enough really to have a great mind um, a lot of people claim to have great minds uh, and yet they in my opinion say and do stupid things but uh, that's neither here nor there um, so he basically wanted to uh, perform this kind of thought experiment uh, in which he was in his house and in a kind of in a dark room and um, he wanted to start off with this kind of assumption that he wanted to start with a, like a blank slate and say, hey, I, I don't really, I don't, I don't know anything. I'm going to start off with that. Um, he ultimately uh, came to the conclusion that um, he is a thinking thing. I think, therefore I am. Um, and then he moved on to, uh, this is where I come back to the Roman Catholic Church, because he kind of inputted God in after the fact, and he said, well, if I'm a thinking thing, then there must have been something that you know created me who's a greater thinking thing. Ergo, God. So, um, I really don't know why he did that. Uh, and another man, uh, a Jewish man named Benedict de Spinoza, uh, got on to him about that. And um, so now we're going to look at Spinoza here. So Spinoza was uh, an interesting character because he really got into um, the meat and potatoes, I would say, of what it means to be or what it means to believe in God. Um, he basically wanted to get rid of the notion of an Abrahamic God, um, which I applaud him. Um, and so... Uh, he was, I think he was very bold in his time for doing that. Um, so he, he basically said that God is like this um, fluid or substance or essence that's kind of like, you know, all in everything. It's in the universe. It, it is the universe. It's it, in us, you know. Um, it's in the earth, in the animals. Um, and people have kind of taken that to mean that, you know, he's a pantheist. Um, I'm not really sure I agree with that, uh, but nonetheless, um, I applaud his effort to think outside of the box. Um... And, you know, as I said, uh, he kind of got on to 
Descartes and his uh, logical contortionism um, because there was really like no way for that Descartes should have gone oh well I'm a thinking thing and because I'm a thinking thing then there must have been like something greater than me um, I don't really understand that at least I don't understand that in the light of science anyway and and to be fair I mean Descartes' science was you know in its infancy um, to say the least so we're going to move on to another character another philosopher named Friedrich Nietzsche uh, who lived in Germany uh, and Nietzsche was one of the uh, I believe he was actually the first philosopher probably to say that uh, God is dead and here let's let's look up a little bit of what he, he wrote here. Uh, the greatest recent event that God is dead, that the belief in the Christian God has become unbelievable, is already beginning to cast its first shadow over Europe. For the few at, le- at least whose eyes, the suspicion in whose eyes is strong and subtle enough for this to speculate, some sun seems to have set, and some ancient and profound trust has been turned into doubt. So, when he says God is dead, I I kind of take that to mean that um, that more like that God is not necessary. There, there's not a necessary belief in God any anymore. Um, and so Nietzsche was the very first philosopher to kind of think like this. Um, and even though um, other philosophers and theologians around Spinoza's time called him an atheist, that was mainly because he didn't believe in the Abrahamic God. He didn't believe in the Christian Jewish God at all. Um, and just because of that, that made him an atheist, regardless of the fact that uh, Spinoza probably did really believe in some sort of divine being. So here Nietzsche takes it one step further and says, Nope, God's dead. Uh, we don't need him any longer. And we're, for the first time in history, we're finally figuring it out. Uh, and we're finally pulling our primitive minds out of the mud. And we're, um, science is growing. And, you know, this is like. Probably just before um, Charles Darwin released uh, On the Origin of Species. So uh, I think the idea was kind of like it 
it was sort of, you know, floating in the upper echelons of academia. Um, and actually, the the early Greeks kind of thought about uh, about this idea as well, and um, they actually thought about evolution, which is something to think about in and of itself. But we're not going to dive down that rabbit hole. Uh, maybe in another episode. Um, and then there was, uh, you know, right, just right before Nietzsche, there was a man, a Danish theologian and Lutheran minister named uh, Soren Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard was the father of existentialism. So existentialism is the, um, the kind of the study of why why we exist, why human beings exist, what is our purpose for living. Um, And he really looked at that through a Christian viewpoint. Um, But it is important to note that Kierkegaard did not agree with the church. He didn't agree with, um, really with doctrine, and he didn't really agree with orthodoxy. And what I mean by that is that he looked at people who went into church and how they practiced their faith and then how they went out into their daily life, out into the public sphere. And he was like, man, you people, like, you just don't get it. I mean, you have God and you have Jesus, but you're not practicing what you're preaching here and I think that really really bothered him so at a fundamental level he was like Christianity of the Christianity of his time anyway from his perspective was not real Christianity it was this like pseudo attempt at Christianity and that really bothered him and he wrote a lot about it um So after uh, some time, you know, we, gosh, we went through like two world wars, right? You know, in the 20th century. And out comes uh, a man out of the, out of World War II, out of uh, French World War II, um, the time era, anyway, and his uh, name was Jean-Paul Sartre. And Sartre was... Um, uh, he was a playwright, for one thing. Uh, he wrote, actually wrote some plays. Uh, but he also wrote... He was also a, uh, primarily a philosopher and of the uh, existentialist uh, lineage. Um, so he studied uh, Kierkegaard and he studied uh, Nietzsche um, but he kind of took his own path um, kind of really took Nietzsche's path in a way because um, he not only said hey look we don't need we don't need God um, and you know that's 
basically what Nietzsche said, right? God is dead. Um, but I was like in the infancy of that um, kind of thinking. So Sartre takes it one step further and he says, um, look, uh, I have this idea here, you know, and it's all about freedom. And he said, man is free. Man is freedom. If, however, God does not exist, we will encounter no values or orders that can legitimize our conduct. Thus, we have neither behind us nor before us in this luminous realm of values and means of justification or excuse. We are left alone without excuse. That is what I mean when I say that man is condemned to be free. Condemned because he did not create himself, yet nonetheless free. Because once cast out into the world, he is responsible for everything he does. So this is kind of where I've come uh, and really just like separated theology from philosophy because here we can see the idea that uh, in my opinion, as a philosopher, um, philosophy trumps, no pun intended, uh, trumps theology. Because it says that, look, God is, if you're, if you're a Christian, if you're whatever, you know, uh, God is your crutch. Religion is your crutch. The Bible is your crutch. You're using it as an excuse to have morality when you're actually giving up complete and total freedom. Um, but keeping in mind that with that complete and total freedom, we have full responsibility as well. And this, to me, is the true kind of morality that we need in the world today. When we take full responsibility upon ourselves and we say, look, I realize that there's probably not a God out there. And I need some sort of moral framework from... Uh, from somewhere to work with, right? So how do you get that moral framework? You get it from philosophy. You get it from the philosophers. And so that's kind of like where, you know, I think that um, there's a breakdown with theology because they're saying like, look, if I stop believing in God and I stop believing in Christianity, then I'm just going to go out and be a heathen because what's stopping me? Well, you're looking at it all wrong when you look at it like that because you're saying that if you let go of all that stuff and, you know, you become an atheist or whatever, um, 
that uh, you're saying basically that like you're only following some sort of religious moral code because you have to because you have some sort of fear like you're going to hell right um, other than that if there were no hell then hey it's free reign right I mean so I, I really don't like understand that like that's why I like Sartre's idea and his uh, his idea of being free but having responsibility with that freedom responsibility to hold up a moral character and uh, I think that's where we're going to end for now <laughs>